You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. This is Doc G, and today we're going to earn and invest in retirement savings. Wise decision or money jail? It wasn't glorious. It wasn't glamorous. I was a young attending physician building my mountain of wealth. I had my income, I had my investments, and of course I had my rental properties. I was young, I was making a lot of money, and I was feeling good about my financial prospects. So when the accountant for our medical practice asked me about the pension program, I have to admit, I was a little bit arrogant. Why would I take so much money and put it into tax-deferred savings? Why would I put it into money jail? He was an older guy, and he had been dealing with businessmen forever, and he knew that all the successful business people he worked with, all the physicians who were really doing well, had these pension plans. He knew that that's what successful doctors do. But I didn't. I couldn't see past my simple need to have and control my money immediately. And so I lost a bunch of years. I contributed the minimum to my 401k while our pension plan, which we were paying for, sat unfunded year after year. And then I discovered personal finance and was quite embarrassed to realize that I could have been funding tax-free all that money. I paid for the pension plan, but I wasn't using it because I didn't really understand retirement savings. And I was fairly educated. I was fairly smart with my money. I can only imagine what you're average person out there who doesn't think about finances, who goes to work every day and makes enough money to survive, if I can't understand retirement savings, how can they? And speaking of saving for retirement, want to learn how to manage your money better and in less time today? Jim Wayne created WalletHacks.com to help demystify money. For far too long, experts have made it complicated so they can make money off you. WalletHacks.com offers no products, no services, just information to help you become better with your money. And best of all, it's free. Check it out today at WalletHacks.com. That's W-A-L-L-E-T-H-A-C-K-S dot com. And be sure to sign up for their free newsletter.
Sarah Holden is the Senior Director of Retirement and Investor Research at the Investment Company Institute. She studies retirement trends and policy, and she got her PhD of economics at University of Michigan. I am a University of Michigan alum, Sarah. How long ago were you there, dare I ask? Oh, let's say a few decades, but, you know, Ann Arbor, a great little town. I was about to say Ann Arbor will always be in my heart. I have not visited recently, so I know it's, it's time for me to get back. Tina Kilroy is the vice president of the ICI Educational Foundation. Her goal is to enhance financial literacy. Tina, tell me a little bit about what the Investment Company Institute is and its mission. So the Investment Company Institute's Education Foundation was formed 30 years ago. So we're sort of at the tail end of our 30th anniversary. It's the educational affiliate of the Investment Company Institute. So it's our mission to promote investor education. We do it to a wide variety of audiences. We generally partner with other nonprofit organizations and government agencies. So one of our big partnerships in the last 10 years has been with Junior Achievement, which is a wonderful organization that promotes job readiness, entrepreneurship, and financial literacy. So we work mainly with middle schoolers through that program, teaching them more about investor education, preparing them for a lifetime of financial success. Sarah, talk to me a little bit about the Investment Company Institute outside of the Educational Foundation. What is the overall mission of the company? Sure. So the Investment Company Institute is the leading association of regulated funds globally. So in the United States, that includes mutual funds and exchange-traded funds and closed-end funds, and then it's similar funds that are offered in other jurisdictions around the world. And so our key goals are to encourage adherence to high ethical standards in the industry, and then to promote public understanding of funds and otherwise advance the interest of funds, their shareholders, directors, and advisors. So I'm in the research department, and we have you know more than 40 people in our research department. Uh, many of them, like myself, have a PhD in economics, and we spend our time analyzing the fund industry and then the financial markets. And then my division in particular looks at what's going on with people and their retirement savings. So, you know, do they have a 401k? Do they have an IRA? What kind of investments are they making in those plans? So we can keep an eye on really what's going on with the U.S. retirement market nest egg. What I love about what you guys do is it looks like you look at investing from all sides, not just from the fund creator or mutual fund creator side, but also from the consumer side. And this idea of looking at the highest ethical standards, I think is really important in our current marketplace. So uh, very interesting. Yeah, no, it's, I think, really important to always keep in mind the shareholder because the shareholder really comes first. And whether that's just someone who owns a mutual fund because they're saving for a home or for an emergency, um, they have a whole bunch of goals they tell us about. And then in particular, because so many retirement savers invest in mutual funds, we study that market as well. And it's just so important given the goal of retirement is so important to so many households to have an idea of, you know, how people think about it, what they're actually doing with those accounts over time. And last but not least, Jen Smith is the writer behind the Modern Frugality blog. She is also the co-host of the Frugal Friends podcast. Jen, I feel like I've been seeing a lot of you lately. I love that. I wouldn't have it any other way. Not only on this podcast, but you've been doing a lot of YouTube videos. I've seen them come across my Facebook feed. They've been really good. Yeah. So I've been trying to figure out new ways to put out information now that we are in this quarantine type situation. So 
that led me to get into YouTube. So I shower and put on makeup once a week and I record all my videos. That's good. I'm glad you have it down to (laughs) once a week so you don't have to do those horrible things on other days. Right, right, right. (laughs) Sarah, I want to start with you. You know, we've gotten so caught up in talking about our current economic recession and the pandemic that sometimes I feel like we miss the point excluding this pandemic. If we can do that right now, excluding our current financial situation, do we have a retirement savings crisis in the United States to start with? You know, you hear a lot about that. And when you look at the data, what you find is that the U.S. retirement system is really working for the majority of households. So if we look at households that are nearing retirement, eight in 10 of them have either individual retirement accounts, so IRAs, or some kind of employer-sponsored plan, like a defined benefit plan, or more often a 401k or defined contribution plan. And sometimes they have both of those things. And that combined with Social Security really allows the majority of Americans to maintain their standard of living in retirement. So, you know, it's sort of a key feature, really, of the retirement system is that it puts in place really sort of an automatic mechanism for people to stick to the program even when we hit bumps in the road like now. And so what we see is when we look at 401k participants, for example, they typically keep on contributing as the market goes up, the market goes down, and it's paycheck by paycheck. And we actually ask them about this in terms of, well, how do you feel about doing that? You know, the market's going up, it's going down. And the majority of them say that knowing that they're saving little by little, paycheck by paycheck, makes them less worried about these short-term fluctuations. So we've got, you know, this discipline in place that lets us keep going and do it little by little, even through these, you know, times where the market goes down. And actually, when the market's down, you're buying stocks on sale. And so participants who buy at the bottom of the market get to ride that share up again when uh, the market comes back. So I think the system itself is really set up to lead people to keep at it so that when we get to retirement, we do have that nest egg to go with Social Security. Tina, Sarah talked about this idea that even during economic downturns, people seem to keep putting money into their 401ks. And one of the reasons I imagine that happens is because they set it and forget it. They actually put their allocation together at the beginning of the year and don't even realize it's coming out anymore. Eight out of 10 Americans seem to be utilizing these retirement resources, as Sarah said. Do you think they're knowledgeable about what all the options are and how to use them? Or are they just doing it because a benefits person decided to tell them, you know, where to put their money when they first got a job? I think the really great thing is that there are so many resources available for people who are trying to make those asset allocation decisions when they're signing up for a 401k. So employers are have a lot of resources that they can share about what kind of investment options 401k savers have. I think another thing that people have been using more and more that's been really helpful are target date funds. So for people who are sort of set it and forget it savers, target date funds have been really helpful since they've been established as a safe harbor so that you can choose to allocate your investments to the target date fund. For younger savers, they're more focused on equities, less on bonds. As you get older, the funds automatically reallocate to be more focused on fixed income. So I think options, investment options like that have been so helpful for people who maybe don't want to look, you know, every six months at their asset allocation and see if it makes sense for them. They can really just do the important things like you said, which is just make sure that you're doing it every paycheck, paycheck by paycheck. 
whether the market's up or down. That's really the value of it. And people are taking advantage of them. They're really been popular. And follow up to Tina, you you mentioned that perhaps people, you know, aren't fully aware of what's going on because, you know, they may have been automatically enrolled. So if you're automatically enrolled, the employer just starts taking money from your paycheck to put into the, your account. As Tina mentioned, if you don't pick an investment, they may put you in a target date fund, which is a great option in terms of being diversified and rebalancing for you. But want to caution that if you're automatically enrolled, you should still check at some point because nine out of 10 participants are in a plan where the employer makes contributions to their account. And that contribution, though, often is based on how much the person themselves puts in. And a typical formula is uh, if I put in 6% of my pay and my employer matches 50 cents on the dollar, I have to contribute that full 6% to get the full employer match, which would be another 3% of my pay. So I would end up with a 9% savings rate, basically. But I have to make sure that I go the full distance to get the full match. And with auto enrollment, it might start me at a lower contribution rate so that I don't get that full match. You know, it's a great device in terms of getting people in and getting them started. But people should still step back and sort of do a check of, did I do enough to get the full match? And then check that you're comfortable with the asset allocation. A target date fund is a great choice, but on average, there's 21 options in a plan and you might want to look around to see if there's something else you'd like to invest in as well. And then as you tumble through your career, you know, try to preserve the balance over time, whether you roll it to an IRA or to the new job, if you're allowed to, you know, keep track of that nest egg over time so that that little by little that builds up to be something big, you keep track of it. Jen, I'm listening to Sarah talk about putting in 6% of the 401k and then getting the match with the 3%. And especially as a young person who doesn't know much about finance, isn't it a lot more fun to talk about frugality or paying off debt? I mean, the retirement stuff feels so stuffy. I imagine if I was just discovering this and was maybe not as aware of everything going on, retirement would be one of the last things I'd be looking at. I actually see the opposite. I see people wanting to get into investing because people love to make money. They always want to make more money and investing is a way to make more money. But where that gets flawed is that people will try and go about it the wrong ways. So they want to go straight into micro investing apps or talking about cryptocurrency or options and they forget to set up their 401k to get the match and they don't know how to open up an IRA to see if they're eligible for that Roth IRA. So they skip over the really impactful ways to invest to get those low-hanging fruits. So they may understand this idea of investing is important, but maybe they don't understand the importance and the benefits of retirement investing as opposed to just taking whatever you have left over after your paycheck and putting it in cryptocurrency. Right. A lot of people don't know where to put their money. And yeah, like what Sarah was saying, the target date funds have been a huge help to help people get more comfortable with their 401ks and IRAs. But I think people would do well to have more understandings of the basics and get more comfortable with it. Because when you're comfortable in it, that's when you can start you know, exploring those target date funds and then graduating to maybe doing your own allocations and stuff like that. I think one thing too, that's so important is that like Jen is saying, just getting started can sometimes be the biggest thing. 
And it can be really easy to set up an IRA if you go um, and want to set one up yourself. And it doesn't have to cost a lot of money. I think that's something that's so important to keep in mind. People think, oh, I have to save thousands of dollars before I can invest it. And it's not true. You can really start with a, a small sum. And if you set it up to do it every month or when you get paid, it doesn't have to be a really huge thing. And I think if you have a little extra time now or you're home a lot and you're Googling, you can just take a look and see really what it takes. And it doesn't have to be a big, scary thing. And I think in order to see the benefits of investing and how your money can grow over time, just get started and just kind of watch it and see what happens. And you'll see what the benefits that it can have for you. Sarah, it hits me that I think of things quite a bit like a generation Xer. I'm in my 40s. I feel like so much of what we call Generation X identify with. Are there differences in our viewpoints based on retirement investing, depending on what generation we're a part of? Are young people thinking different, for instance, than the baby boomers, et cetera? Yeah, so we actually, with our household surveys, we're able to look at the data by generation. And what's very interesting to see is that when you compare the millennials and Gen Z, to the baby boomers at the same age. So you, you want to compare, you don't want to look at a baby boomer now because they're older and that's not a fair comparison. They've been at this for years. So you want to say, well, when the baby boom was the age of the typical millennial, what were they doing and what are the differences or the similarities? And interestingly, we see that the millennials are much more likely to say that saving for retirement is one of their goals. They're also much more likely to have started investing. So we have found a really a glimmer of hope in terms of the millennials that they are already at a young age saving and investing for retirement. Now they do have challenges. They do have a quite a bit of student debt. And Jen talked about that a bit in terms of, you know, as you're thinking about what you're going to do with that paycheck. So you need to think about really, you know, am I going to have enough to save and invest? And again, the employer match is just such a return to your savings dollars that you should really try to take advantage of that first. But then you'll need to look to see, well, what debt obligations do you have that you should be working on paying down? So the millennials do have that challenge of having that student debt, but they are actually on the path to saving at a much younger age. And we then have Gen X. And my heart goes out to you, Gen X, because you're the one generation that really no one talks about. <laughs> it's always millennials and baby boom. Uh, and so Gen X is kind of sandwiched in between. And you're sort of a combination of the two in that actually Gen X does still have some student debt, but not to the extent the millennials do. But you are in your really prime earning and savings years. And so we see that Gen X is really a, a significant force out there in terms of saving and investing. So they're kind of sandwiched in between those two generations. They don't get much attention, but they are working away at saving for retirement. Tina, as Sarah talks about the generations, I think about the baby boomers and certainly the greatest generation had this option of a defined benefit plan, a pension. And what maybe in the 80s, we started going more to 401ks. Do you think that has caused a big difference in maybe the millennials being a lot more aware of this idea of investing in a 401k? I think there's something of a myth around the defined benefit plan where people thought there was sort of a golden age of the golden watch. You worked for a company for years and years and years, and then you retired with this wonderful pension and you were set for life. But in fact, oftentimes people didn't work long enough at the same company to actually get the pension. So we sort of have this rosy picture of what it used to be like. And I think the system that we have now where 
If you work at a job, you can save in the 401k, you can roll it over, it can go with you. I think that's for our generation, for millennials and Xers, that's sort of a much better setup because it is more on you in a sense where you have to start saving yourself, you have to get the match. But once you do that, your money travels with you, you always have it, and you don't have to worry about staying in a company for a certain amount of time. I think another thing that millennials really may be helping them is, of course, the target date fund, which we already talked about, or being sort of automatically enrolled in a company plan. Some plans may have auto escalation too, which is really helpful, where you might, if you're in the 401k plan each year, it might bump you up a percentage of your salary until you reach a certain amount. And that's sort of something that you should be doing on your own, but having that nudge of your employer helping you to reach a firmly successful sort of savings rate is really helpful. And I think also for millennials coming out of the Great Recession, financial crisis, they sort of see the importance, I think, of saving and getting started. Even though retirement's pretty far off for them, they've seen sort of a downturn right when they got started. And I think that's maybe helped them to see the importance of it too. Jenna, I feel like a lot of millennials entering the workspace have really been sandwiched between two bad economic downturns, right? So you had 2008, 2009, a lot of people were just entering the workforce and a bunch of good years in between. Now it looks like we're heading possibly towards a worsening global recession. Why during this time of economic worries and pandemic, et cetera, is this really the time to be thinking about your retirement savings? Is that what's on people's minds? Absolutely. I hope it is because I think these economic downturns have only made us more resilient. So we have a better resiliency to be in the markets. So, I mean, the greatest wealth we can build is just to invest and, and let it grow as, over as much time as possible. So I hope that people are viewing this as this, you know, stocks are on sale and, and hopefully they're getting the right education to where they're not trying to pinpoint single stocks to start out, which is another thing I see a lot of people trying to start out with. But I hope that there is enough information available in enough places to teach people about the asset that is their tax-advantaged retirement accounts. Sarah, I've noticed that in the downtime when people are sheltering in place, I'm seeing a lot of construction going on. People are painting, they're doing construction around the house. This seems to be a time for people to catch up. And I'm wondering, is it the same with our finances and our retirement? Is this a good time to, so to speak, clean out the financial closet? I think, and what we see is we hear from the record keepers. So these are the companies that are, you know, keeping the records, uh, managing the participant accounts, interacting with people, whether it's through a mobile app or it's online or it's over the phone. And what we see during times of uh, just financial market volatility is more folks go online to look at their account balance or call the phone center to find out what their account balance is. So there's a whole lot of let's go look at it and let's go check it. And sometimes that's all they do. But actually, once you've already gone online and you're there, well, why not look around? And for the typical 401k participant, that plan website has just a wealth of information because it will tell you 
about your specific plan. So it will usually let you know, you know, here's the employer match. Are you taking advantage of it? It will let you know the uh, list of investment options. There'll be education around, you know, risk and return. And as Jen mentioned, diversification, because that is so important. And I think that in this time where we're sort of checking our accounts, quite a few folks are also looking around the rest of that website in order to see what material is available to them to, to get an idea of are they managing this to the, you know, really to the fullest. Tina, speak a little bit to what Sarah was just talking about. If I have fairly little knowledge about my retirement savings and I want to utilize this time to really learn and grow what are the first steps? Is it looking at that company website? Where should I go first? You're right. It's a great time to sort of go back to basics with finances. Some people are cleaning out their closet. Some people are learning how to bake bread, doing those odd jobs around the house, whatever it is. But taking a step back and looking at your finances and saying, maybe sort of look holistically at where you are. Like Sarah said earlier, some people might be paying down debt. And that's the big thing for them. And that's something that they should focus on. For some people, it's maybe starting an IRA because they don't have a workplace account that they can invest in or whatever it is. And thinking, I think one thing that's so important to think about is not only where you are now, but where you want to be in the future. Where do I want to be 40 years from now? Do I want to have a solid retirement account? Of course you do, you know, but the time to start is now. Like Jen said, you want to do it now so that you're set up for your future self down the road. And I think one thing too, that the sort of market turbulence that we've been experiencing the last few months, it's really a good chance for people to take a look at if they're comfortable with the way they are invested, if they're invested. Is your risk tolerance, are your investments appropriately reflecting your risk tolerance right now? Are you allocated in a way that is appropriate for where you are in your life? So it's, I think it's a good time to take a step back Think about if you're doing what you should be doing. And there certainly are a lot of resources out there if you want to get started. If you have a 401k, the plan sponsors website is a great place to go. Poke around there. But really, I think just getting started and taking a look at your own situation. Tina, one of the things I worry about is I feel like an economic recession or a stock market crash is like the worst time to jostle around your asset allocation. Is this the time to be changing things up? I think it's always important to look at if you are appropriately invested and if you are not comfortable with the volatility in the market, you need to look at where you are. So yes, it's always a good time to look and see if it's appropriate. If you want to wait before you make any changes, you know, that's something to think about too. Yeah, I would follow on to that. ICI actually does a survey of the record keepers to keep track of or an idea of what are people doing in terms of rebalancing. So we've got more than half of 401k participants are in those target date funds. And with a target date fund, you've assigned an investment professional to do that rebalancing for you. So those folks have rebalancing going on but it's being done by the fund manager. So that leaves the other folks who are still choosing their own assets, basically. They're choosing among the different funds offered in the plan. And we really see that a minority of them rebalance either their contributions or their account balance in any given time period. So there is quite a bit of, uh, again, the discipline of doing it little by little. There's some tending of the garden, and, you know, they'll go and you know, rebalance their, their fund allocations, but quite a few people are getting automatic rebalancing from the fund itself. 
And Jen, speaking of asset allocation, it seems like I hear this question quite a bit. For those who are in debt right now, how do we decide whether it's time to put money into retirement and investing or whether we should be taking that money and putting it towards debt immediately? Well, first I'll say it has to be what feels good to you, what feels right for you and your family and your financial situation. I personally am a huge fan of The One Thing, which is the book by Gary Keller and Jay Papasan, where the whole theory behind it is to do one thing, give it your all, and then move on to the next thing. And even if you don't see the whole thing through just doing that and not doing anything else, committing to a period of time where at least while you're learning and while you're really getting into the groove of things, just doing one thing at a time really does speed up the process of you finishing. And I think uh, a lot of the times we find that in paying off debt, when you are starting to do that, you really do need to give it your all and kind of forget about everything else for a while. And then once you become comfortable in it, once you get into the groove, then you can introduce new things. So that's sort of the opinion that I'm of. You ultimately need to do what feels comfortable for you and your family and your age and, and income. Ultimately, both of them are good moves, right, Jen? Right. There may be different levels of how good they are for each person individually, but you're never going to go wrong doing both of them. Absolutely not. If anything that improves your finances is not wrong, it's not a wrong method. So it's just some people are more apt to do multiple things at once while other people excel better having a simple financial system. In the first half of the show, Sarah, Jen, and Tina talk about the current use of retirement savings in the United States. After the break, we discuss the controversial view of the 401k as money jail. But first, want to learn how to manage your money better and in less time today? Jim Wayne created WalletHacks.com to help demystify money. For far too long, experts have made it complicated so they can make money off you. WalletHacks.com offers no products, no services, just information to help you become better with your money. And best of all, it's free. Check it out today at WalletHacks.com. That's W-A-L-L-E-T-H-A-C-K-S dot com. And be sure to sign up for their free newsletter. Sarah, I want to be a little bit controversial here. I had a previous guest who referred to their 401k as money jail. Now, I think most of us who listen to this podcast agree that retirement savings is good. And most of us agree with this idea that the 401k is a good place to put money, especially when you have employer match. But is it the only game in town? Are there other places we could be going with our money? I think in terms of, I want to answer your sort of statement of uh, 401k is a money jail. I would say actually 401k is an, an accounting device so that you can earmark in your mind that this money is special. It's getting special tax treatment. It's often getting employer money coming in. It's getting, you know, it compounds tax-free. I can do after-tax contributions, which would be Roth. So I don't, I pay taxes now, but I don't pay taxes when it comes out. Or I do the traditional, which is I get a deduction now, actually. In any event, it's earmarked in my mind for retirement. And it would be really great to have that money make it all the way to retirement because it will compound its tax, you know, it's compounding tax-free. You really need to you know, try to keep it to retirement. But the system recognizes and the policymakers and the plan sponsors recognize things happen. 
emergencies come up. And so a, a really great flexibility in the 401k is the loan feature. We found through research that looking at people's contribution activity, if the plan offers a loan, so I could borrow money from my plan if I needed to, it frees me up to contribute more because I know that it's not money jail, that I could actually access the money if some bad thing happened to me. And actually the loan is the least damaging thing I can do to myself. I borrow the money out. It doesn't count as a distribution as long as I pay it back. And most people pay their loans back. Now where you could get into trouble is if you lose your job and then suddenly you have to pay it back quickly. But for the most part, that loan feature gives you flexibility to know that, you know, if something bad happened, you could actually borrow against your account. And at any point in time, fewer than one in five people actually have a loan outstanding. So this is a safety valve, not too many pull it, but it is a safety valve. The other thing you can do is take a hardship withdrawal. And with that, typically once you do that, the money's out and you normally can't put it back in. But actually, Congress recently, on March 27th, uh, the CARES Act has added some increased flexibility to let people get more money. So the amount you're allowed to take up has gone up from as either a loan or a withdrawal, has actually taken the 10% penalty off the withdrawal. And if your plan sponsor allows it, you'd be able to pay the withdrawal back in again over time. So we've had some changes recognizing that there's some flexibility needed here for the account in terms of encouraging you to put the money in. We're going to keep it, try to keep it earmarked for retirement, but bad things might happen along the way and you might have to tap it. But if you do really, uh, we find people do it as a last resort. And again, with the loan, they typically get the money put back in again. So it is, it's actually has flexibility built in, although is designed for the long haul. You know what? I love our meals from Factor. My son started getting them about a year ago when he needed a quick alternative to meals on the go. But where we've really enjoyed them is we've been remodeling our kitchen. That's right. We've had no access to our kitchen for the last few weeks. And some nights we just had no idea what to do for a meal. That is where Factor came in. We would just pop the meal in the microwave and two minutes later we'd have a fantastic meal. You can do the exact same thing, and there's tons of variety. Choose from a weekly menu of 35 options, including Calorie Smart, Keto, Protein Plus, or Vegan and Veggie. Also discover more than 60 add-ons every week. These are chef-prepared meals, and let me tell you, they are delicious. No fuss, no mess. You just put it in the microwave, and two minutes later... You have a meal. This is tailored to your schedule. You can customize your weekly meals with the flexibility to get as much or as little as you need. Head to factormeals.com slash earn50 and use your code earn50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That's code earn50 at factormeals.com slash earn50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. I would mention that assuming you pay your 401k loan back, the only real risk there is losing the effect of compounding. So we all know it's really hard to time the market. So if you take the loan at the wrong time and repay it at the wrong time, you may miss some of those big days in the market. And studies seem to show that, you know, if you miss five or six days in a 10-year period, it can radically change your outcomes with your returns. But all being said and done, 
the ability to return that money and then for it to keep growing tax deferred is very helpful. Tina, Sarah mentioned some changes with the CARES Act. Does that change anything with our retirement savings? I mean, yes, you can now take out some money penalty free. Do you think it will change people's planning at all? Well, there's actually a couple other things that happened somewhat recently with the SECURE Act that I think will have really big ramifications for people. That is the Setting Every Community Up for Retirement Enhancement Act, which passed in December. And one of the things that it does is it raises the required minimum distribution age to 72, which allows people to work longer before they, or just wait longer before they start taking distributions. And with people working longer or wanting more flexibility, I think that will be really helpful. Another thing is that you can make IRA contributions regardless of your age, as long as you have earned income to contribute. So this will let people keep saving even as they get older before they have to take money out. So these two things I think will have a big impact on people, especially baby boomers who are preparing to retire. It'll help them to sort of make their savings stretch as they need it to. It's notable that the SECURE Act in many ways seems very helpful towards retirement. Maybe the pound of fat we paid is inheritability, which is a whole other subject we're not going to get into here. But it sounds like it did some very good things for retirement savers. The other things that it does, there's a provision to allow unrelated employers to join together to make MEPs, which are multiple employer plans. So there's other provisions that will encourage more Uh, retirement plan participation, which will be very beneficial. There's also something that allows part-time employees, long-term part-time employees to have access to retirement plans. Jen, Tina reminds me that a lot of times as we're talking about our recurrent retirement architecture, we often are talking for employees, right? What can they do when they have an employer? Are things different for the self-employed? I mean, there are many freelancers out there. There are many consultants, many people who own their own businesses. Are things different for them? Yeah. I mean, we still have access to solo 401ks, but what I really love and prefer to do first would be a Roth IRA. Most people will be eligible for a Roth IRA, especially if they're just starting out. If not, then you can definitely do a backdoor Roth. But I love like the safety and the provisions with a Roth IRA being that they are after-tax contributions. So like when you, and, and most people listening to this show will already know this, but when you are putting money in now, when you're making less, then later on when you're making more, you can take it out and you've saved those taxes and all of your contributions you can take out at any time without penalty for as long as you want. It's not a loan. So there's just a lot of safety there. And then for young people who haven't bought a house yet, you can also use some of that for a down payment on a house. So there's just so much flexibility, especially for freelancers and business owners like me. But then, you know, also if you have have enough money to max out an IRA, then definitely starting with a solo 401k, it'll work exactly like, you know, a 401k through an employer. That's a great second step that I love. Sarah, Jen mentions Roth IRAs, and of course, they're traditional IRAs too. What percentage of the population, at least here in the U.S., is taking advantage of these other retirement accounts? So we know that people kind of get this idea of what a 401k is. Their employer helps them with it. Are people putting money into the traditional and Roth IRAs? And are there other 
places to put your money besides those if you feel like you're maxing out those other buckets? Yeah, so actually, we've seen a lot of traction with the Roth IRA among the young people, which uh, Jen mentioned, because with the Roth IRA, you're doing an after-tax contribution. And if you're early on in your career and your tax rate is pretty low, you know, you've decided, I'll just pay the taxes now. And then it grows just as it would in a traditional IRA without paying taxes on the earnings and returns. But with the Roth, when you get to retirement and you take it out, you don't pay any taxes because you already paid the taxes on the contribution before it went in. So it's appealing to a younger person because they're in a pretty low tax bracket at the beginning of their career. So we have seen quite a bit of growth actually in Roth. There's about 20% of U.S. households have a Roth IRA and they've got about a trillion dollars in assets in them. So they're getting up there in terms of an investment vehicle. The most common IRA though is the traditional IRA. And with the traditional IRA, there you may get a deduction now, so you can do a a before-tax contribution. It will grow and reinvest without any taxes. But when you get to retirement and you take the money out, you will pay taxes on it then. But many folks will have a lower tax rate in retirement. So there's an appeal to having the traditional IRA. And many folks will have rolled over a regular 401k into the IRA or a defined benefit plan that allowed a a lump sum distribution could be rolled over to a traditional IRA as well. So there's a flexibility there in in our system in terms of uh, having the traditional versus the Roth treatment and sort of deciding when you want to pay taxes. And I'll say, you know, many folks have said, indicated that what the Roth is also good for perhaps is having it as a tax diversification in terms of in retirement, things happen like the roof leaks or the car breaks down and you need to have what we economists would call a lumpy expenditure. So if you have lumpy expenses in retirement, the Roth allows you to take out a lump to cover them with no impact on your income. So no impact on your taxes. So it's, it's sort of another way to sort of think about managing what kind of expenses, maybe I have the Roth for the lumpy things and I have the traditional for my regular income in retirement. You know, because we're in the midst of a possible economic downturn and recession, we should expect that legislation will change and often does during crisis. Are there any legislative changes you see coming in the future that are going to affect our retirement savings? I think we've had a a whole bunch already. So, I mean, really, the the changes that happened, as Tina mentioned, with the SECURE Act was to make it so that older individuals could continue saving in an IRA, for example. So once you've turned 70 and a half, 70, you used to not be allowed to contribute to a traditional anymore. Now you can. Also allowed, given our longer life expectancy, move that age at which you have to start those required minimum distributions to 72, whereas it had been 70 and a half. Um, ICI actually wanted it moved even further because we really have had significant increases in life expectancy. And the idea here is I, you know, we need the monies to be spent in retirement. So it needs to start coming out. But People are having to finance many, many years in retirement. So I think that will probably be something that folks continue to look at is, you know, as life expectancy changes, will that change, uh, will that age need to be changed again? And I think there's still just the continuing effort of, as Tina mentioned, the small employers. So allowing them to band together and be in one plan and get some efficiencies that way. So trying to encourage that. And I think 
also just focusing a bit on you know the IRA. Uh, really need to just get the word out about IRAs. It's a terrific savings vehicle. And so many people don't take advantage of it. And I think it's because you need to do some research, you know, as Jen mentioned there. So you have to research and figure out, you know, where am I going to open the IRA? I could go get help. I could go to a financial advisor or a broker, or I could do it myself, go online to a mutual fund company or a discount broker and do it. But it does require, you know, that research and taking that step. So I think that just, you know, innovations perhaps in trying to make it simpler to set up IRAs would be, would be helpful as well. Jen, let's talk a little bit about some of the mistakes people tend to make in this type of atmosphere. I can't tell you how many times I've heard people say, I'm taking all my money out of the market and putting it in gold or holding it in cash because the market (laughs) is about to drop. What do we tell those people? Don't stop watching TV. Don't listen to the commercials that are telling you gold's a good investment right now. If you want some gold, that's fine, but like don't bank your retirement on it. I think. I'm for at least millennials, we have seen what happens after a recession. We have seen the longest bull market in history. And so we are a little bit more resilient in this. We have a long time to go before retirement. And so I think a lot of more people now are keeping their money in and they're just making regular investments like they were. I know a lot of people are pausing their investing or just lowering it. My husband's not working right now. So we, well, he's, he still has his 401k. We're just not investing as much as we were just because we need that liquid cash. And and that's totally fine for people. You're not losing out on, you know, a ton by not having to go into debt for your regular expenses. So, but I think people are going to stay in it more so than what you may have seen in 2009, 2010. But there still is that. I think I've seen a lot of people trying to get into single stocks and stock picking right now. And so I think that's a big mistake people could make, trying to make monies in, in the wrong way. And, and just knowing that the tried and true good old-fashioned 401k and IRA is still your best bet. It's not sexy, but it is safe. And that's what we need more of right now. I agree too. I think just like Jen said, for younger investors, knowing that you have a lot of time to ride the market and hold on, it's so important. And to also think about diversification. Are you diversified, not holding one stock, but holding a mix of stocks, geographically, industry, think sort of broad and having those things well in hand protects you from both thinking about (laughs) doing things that might not be wise and, you know, going ahead and doing them. So just thinking long-term, riding it out and staying invested is so important. One thing I've also noted is that just because it's in your 401k and it's for retirement doesn't mean that that's money you should be more risky with. Sometimes people either feel like it's automatic and they don't feel a connection to the money that went in, or they feel it's so long-term that they can take unnecessary risks with it. Whereas it's exactly the opposite. By making the right stable decisions now, you can really reap the benefits in the future. Sarah, I'm going to start with you and I want to run through the panel. How do you think either positive or negative this current recession is going to affect people's retirement savings in the long term? 
this is definitely a rough patch. Clearly, it's going to be a challenge to save for retirement if you literally aren't working right now because you can't go to your job. So it's going to be a rough patch and it's going to have an impact. That said, we know from the great uh, from the financial market crisis that many folks will make adjustments to their plans. And so the majority of people did keep up regular saving through that last round, but some folks increased their savings rates. So it may be that right now you're having to take a little bit of a breather, but when folks come back, many of them will try to make up for this spell by saving more once they get back to work and back on track. So I think that, you know, in terms of the long term plenty of opportunity to uh, catch up. And actually, in the laws, the contribution limits, we allow if you're 50 or older, catch up contributions so that uh, once you get to that point, you can put in even more money uh, towards retirement. So I think a rough patch now, but don't kick yourself. If you're in a rough situation, when things come back again, you can, you know, redouble your efforts and, and, and get yourself back on track. Jen, five years from now, hopefully when this is a distant memory, will people's retirement saving habits be any different than they were today or a year or two ago? I hope so. I think every time something impactful happens financially, I think it inspires a great number of people to do things differently. And it's sad that it takes big things like this, but I think for those people who are at the right place in the right time, to focus on retirement and are inspired by this when they get back on their feet, then yeah, I think it will really change a lot of minds and and change a lot of families because being set for retirement doesn't just affect you. It also affects your children and your parents and your siblings. So it's, it's more than just you being able to afford your Mai Tais on a beach in retirement. It affects everyone around you. Tina, any simple retirement goals we can tell people to focus on to make it through this tough time? I think it's just important to focus on when there's so much uncertainty right now, it's kind of bleeding into every part of people's lives. You have to focus on what you can control. And it might seem like everything's out of control right now, but if you can keep doing what you're doing in terms of your savings, you still are getting paid and keep contributing, right? If you are not getting paid, like Sarah said, don't beat yourself up. Do the best you can. Come back to it when you can. I think that's really the bottom line. And I think it's a really optimistic tone. As Jen was talking about the millennials and what happened in 2008, the optimism is that people came out a lot more aware and their savings levels went up, their investing levels went up. So as hard as these times are, maybe something positive can come out of it. And it is definitely a marathon and not a sprint when we're talking about retirement. So we might get winded in the short term, but maybe we will be much better endurance runners as time goes on. I'd like to end this episode the way I end every episode by asking you what is up next in your life and where can we find you? Let me start with you first, Jen. What is up next? You can find me every week with my friend Jill on the Frugal Friends podcast and on YouTube at Modern Frugality. It is a wonderful podcast, both entertaining and incredibly intelligent. So I suggest everyone goes over there and listens to it. Sarah, where can we find you and what's up next in your life? 
What's up next is we will just keep on doing our surveys and publishing you know, retirement market updates and what participants are up to. And you can find all of our research and all of our statistics at ICI.org. And Tina, where can we find you? What's up next in your life? So you can find the ICI Education Foundation at ICIF.org. We're also on social media, so be sure to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, or LinkedIn. And we're wrapping up our, or getting close to wrapping up our 30th anniversary year at the ICIF. So we're doing a blog, a monthly blog on investing basics. So you can follow us on there as well. This has been the Earn and Invest podcast. On behalf of myself, Doc G, I'd like to thank Tina Kilroy and Sarah Holden from the Investment Company Institute, as well as Jen Smith. That's a wrap. We've been calling this the great pause. Everything has stopped. Our businesses, our schools, it's summertime now, and the streets are not nearly as busy as they were. The great pause. But if you're like me, I actually worry about going backwards. When you don't do your normal stuff, everything goes downhill. And that's mentally, emotionally, physically. It has to do with job skills. So the real question is, how do we not go backwards in these crazy times of pandemic and shelter in place and quarantine? To discuss that, I have Rich Jones from Paychecks and Balances. Rich, what's going on, man? Appreciate you inviting me, man. I'm uh, trying to live my best life over here, finally. Yeah, living our best life. It's something that we always struggle with, but certainly when the game changes so fundamentally as it has recently, it's even harder we used to joke about the fact that when you go to college, you get the freshman 15. Well, in my family, we've been talking about getting the COVID-19 lately. Oh, I was saying the quarantine 15, but the COVID-19 is probably more accurate for a lot of us. I like that, the quarantine 15. It has a nice ring to it. You wrote in Facebook a post about dry July. What is that? Basically, it's going the month of July without any alcohol, no wine, no beer, no trulies, no white claws, just completely abstaining from all forms of alcohol. And it's something you see a lot of people do in January to kick off the new year, dry January. I just happen to be doing it in July. And, and there are a lot of other people who are kind of doing this as their mid-year reset. Was there something about being stuck at home and what's going on in the world that made you kind of decide to reset in July? Because like you said, July's the time, you know, July 4th. It's real common to crack a beer, do something like that. Why now? I think for me in general, the past year, so even before the pandemic, I've just had a lot of stuff that's been going on in life, as we all do. And then the pandemic hits. And I lost that separation of uh, different aspects of my life. So previously, you go into an office. So I know I go into an office. I'm at work. I'm not thinking about all of the other things that are going on. Also, from a mental triggering perspective, in terms of even working out, I knew I go to work. I leave work. I drive to the gym. I work out. I go home or I go back to work to get something to eat for dinner. And I go home and that's my night. And now everything is all in the same place. And that's provided a lot of time for me to be with my thoughts. I don't have much separation in terms of, uh, again, being able to work out. So I have a exercise bike at home 
And it was easier for me to use it before the pandemic. And you would think, well, you've got this bike right there. Like, why, like, how, how could you struggle to ride this bike if you have it in your place? But it's because I don't have that mental trigger and that mental separation of going to a different location or coming home from work and knowing that that's what I need to do. So it's, it's a very subtle mental thing. And I think for me, I just got to a place where I was just feeling tired every day. I've had sleep issues for a long time. And uh, also I went and looked in the mirror one day and I was like, all right, I'm kind of shaped like a letter S. I don't like this right now. <laughs> I'm kind of shaped like a letter S. This, this isn't something that I'm, I'm feeling too great about. And I just made a decision uh, that starting beginning of July that I'm going to eat better. I'm going to uh, get back into working out. I'm more of a regular cadence. I'm not going to overcommit to things like some people to do that. I'm going to start working out five days a week. Like that's not going to be me, especially doing it like five days in a row. So my goal is just to work out or ride my bike three days a week and keep it something manageable. But yeah, I just got to a point where I felt like I wasn't my best self. And, uh, you know, I've been going to a therapist for a while and we've been talking about it. And I just had a moment where I sat down and I was like, what am I doing, man? So that's kind of what really kicked it off for me. You know, we talk a lot about habit and especially if you're a content producer, you talk about cadence. But there's something about having a schedule that helps you be your best self. And one of the disorienting things of shelter in place has been that it ruined all of our schedules. And even though we have more time, right, you're not driving to the office, you're spending so much less time commuting. It's actually harder sometimes to do those ritualized things that you used to do, like work out. Yeah. It is. And it's funny, I was talking to my mom. Actually, this conversation happens with my mom every time I talk to her where we try to figure out what day of the week it is. <laughs> and <laughs> and I, just, I just had that conversation with someone at the day gig this morning where uh, we we're talking about how yesterday in a meeting, someone said happy Friday and we had to be like, no, it's actually Thursday. And there's still the ability to put a schedule in place, but I do find it much harder to follow that schedule while working from home because even within the schedule, it was compartmentalizing. So I know, okay, this time I go out and I do this, or I leave my desk area and I go to the cafeteria and I eat. But now everything is happening in the same place. Even how day gig work hours for those of us who do have day jobs, even how that is structured, the way that people are viewing hours in office. So before it would be, uh, I know I got to be at my desk by nine. In some places, it's not as strict where I work about that, but you knew I need to be in the office by this time. Uh, I know that I have these meetings and I know that I need to be in the office until this time. And it's all becoming a lot more flexible, which is leading to a lot more. I can do this whenever, which is where the scheduling starts to get really messed up. It seems to me also there were all these external things that kept us on track. I mean, as silly as it is in the summertime, it kept you working out because, you know, you're going to be hitting the beach. Right. You were yes. worried about that beach body. Now it's like, eh, I'm not going to be going out. I'm not going to be seeing anyone anyway. Yeah, I can't even go in the community pool here. I think they they might have just opened it back up, but they have all of these restrictions and you got to block time. And so even if I did have the ability to go into a pool, given where I am right now, I have gotten back in the workout, but uh, I'm definitely t-shirt in the pool guy right now, if it was open. Yeah, that's me all the time. So don't worry about that. That's just normal <laughs> life for me. <laughs> So tell me what kind of difference this has made for you. I know you've taken off some weight. What has it done for your brain? Like mentally, does it feel better? I will say from a confidence and momentum perspective and an achievement perspective, that's where it's the most meaningful. 
Uh, so I was at the beginning of the month, I was 234.9, which was 0.1 pound from my heaviest weight ever. And it was the weight that I was at when I arrived in the Bay Area in 2014. And I hadn't gotten on the scale in a while. So I was kind of shocked when I saw that. By what, July 15th, 16th, I'd went from 234.9 to 222.7 or something like that, which wow. sound, which, and so that may sound really unhealthy. But a big difference for me, I've been dining out a lot. And that's also something about this time period. I've been using a lot of DoorDash. I mean, probably eating 10 plus meals a week off DoorDash. So that's not only impacting my waistline, it's also impacting my bank account. Uh, I've been uh, going to fast food drive throughs because I hadn't felt like cooking. And since the beginning of July, uh, and even just a little bit before that, uh, my girlfriend and I, we started meal prepping where uh, we would go to Costco, pick up a bunch of things and take part of a Sunday, part of a Saturday and prepare all of our meals for the week. And we would make healthy decisions in terms of the things that we picked up. So whether it's, you know, the chickens, the steaks, and I didn't realize how tasty some of the Costco products were, which was super surprising to me. I, I just, I never knew. And I wish that I had my membership card long ago. So that was one part of it. And we're both doing a version of low carb. She's doing more hardcore keto. I'm doing just more low carb because I know myself. And when I extremely restrict myself, when I do fall off, I fall off hard. So, so uh, trying to be more strategic about um, knowing myself and saying, you know what, I'm going to have carbs here and there. It's like I had a burger this weekend, had no shame about it. But you know, 85, 90% of the time, I'm eating the right things that are in, that are in alignment with the type of diet that I'm pursuing. And then also adding in, you know, doing uh, Peloton bike rides or going for more extended walks or, you know, the uh, 100 push-up challenge. So combining all of those things and also considering how many beers I was having before, glasses of wine. That's a dramatic difference from what I was doing just a month ago. And so some of that weight that's come off, I know that that's water weight. And so what I'm waiting for is the actual fat weight to come off so I can tame down this little, this letter S that's been building up over the past few months. We're not going to be seeing any before and after pictures online because nah, I've seen nah. a few of those in Facebook. You know, there are people putting that out there. Yeah, I just saw one from somebody in the personal finance community and <laughs> uh, I was I was a bit jealous about it. You probably saw it too. And uh, no, I'm not going to do that. And I thought about it when I was in the mirror and I was, I was, and I was just like, I don't want this picture of me. <laughs> there was a moment though. The there was a moment though. Admit it. <laughs> there was a moment. And, th and then there's people that from, from work that like follow me on Facebook and I'm like, do they need to see me with my shirt off and my gut hanging out? I'm like, nah, they probably don't. I don't want to change that dynamic in our relationship. So diet, exercise, alcohol, any other changes that you've been making? Uh, I've been working really hard to get my sleeping pattern in order. So I'm someone who for years now has not been able to sleep more than four hours straight. I've had a CPAP machine for the last year, which helps with sleep apnea because I got that too. And uh, alcohol also plays a role in how you sleep. Some people think it'll make you sleep better, but it actually messes up your sleeping pattern altogether. So uh, I've been more diligent about having a wind down routine at the end of the day, wind with a D, not wind <laughs> down routine at the end of the day. I've also realized in the past week that working out the time of day that I work out. So some people say that they work out in the morning and they feel energized. I work out in the morning. I feel exhausted and I actually feel screwed up for the rest of my day. So I found that working out in the evening, maybe a couple of hours before bed 
allows me to get to sleep faster and sleep a little bit longer. So this week, I've gone from you know, sleeping four hours to five hours and then sleeping six hours in one night. And, and to me, like, it's, that's still not enough, but that's progress. So also continuing to work on the sleep part of it. And I won't lie to you, at the time that we're recording this, it's a few hours into the day. I do still feel a little bit groggy, but I know that I'm seeing things move in the right direction. And that's what's really important, man. It's that momentum that I'm seeing my sleep start to improve, not just the quality, but also the duration of how long I'm actually staying asleep. So I'm steadily working toward getting that eight hours. Yeah, I can't help but notice how similar it sounds to personal finance. I know maybe we take everything and make it sound like personal finance, but it's those incremental gains and those little changes. And uh, I dare say investing in yourself ends up bringing real returns, right? So you're starting to feel this change in your body, especially, like I said, now when everything feels so off, it must be nice when it feels like things are actually getting better. Yeah, and I think I also said, uh, maybe not in that post that you saw, but a previous one, that I feel the best that I have felt in years. And I know it's only been a few weeks of me being on this kick, but it's made a huge difference. Cutting alcohol And I'll be honest, like the amount that I was drinking was probably not the amount that I should have been drinking during this uh, quarantine period. And so cutting that and just not having like the foggy mind because you maybe one night I'm celebrating something or I'm super stressed out. So I'm going to, you know, drink a couple beers or, uh, or, or have a couple cocktails before I go to bed, like cutting that out and just having this, this clear mind and being able to kind of feel it and, experience things like throughout the day without any fogginess or without any numbness. And that's a whole other conversation about how for many of us being home with our thoughts, if we've experienced any types of past trauma or anything like that, like it's, it's overexposed right now because we're just home and we don't have those distractions. And so I think for a lot of us, it's probably bringing up some of the things that maybe we had hadn't wanted to talk about for a while, or even having the ability to go into a a, a therapist's office, again, that compartmentalizing versus doing a video. And and I talk to my therapist on a weekly basis via video. So that works out as well. But there's, there, there are a lot of subtle, but important impacts that this being home all the time has had on us. And uh, I think I've put enough structure. I'm someone who thrives off of structure. I've, I've put enough structure in place. I've made sure I, I put a good network of people around me. And it's just been uh, really helpful in helping me pull my habits together. And I don't want this to slow down. Like I don't want to go back to what it was like in June or what it was like in May. Like I'm making progress. Good things are happening. And I just want to keep that momentum going. It's amazing how connected the mental and the physical are. If you look at how you were doing a month ago, your body was showing what was going inside in your mind, right? You felt disconnected, out of whack because things had changed and your body had taken on extra weight, et cetera. And now you've realized that if you can work on your body, it reflects back on your mind and how you're feeling about things. And I think that's a real good message for what's happening right now because there's so much we can't control that you decided, well, I can control what I eat. I can control what I drink. I can start to control my weight. And the positive effect of having that control goes far beyond just the changes in your, you know, and what you look like when you get into a bathing suit. It's insane. man. the amount of work that I'm now able to get done, I was looking at my whiteboard this morning and 
the amount of stuff that I'm able to get done versus before where I would feel sluggish or I wasn't able to focus. And I, I do still have issues with focus. And I actually went to the, talk to a doctor about that just because, you know, I'll sit down and I'm shifting all over the place. And, uh, and that's another thing for those of us who do, do have healthcare benefits, which is hopefully all of us take advantage of those. So if anything doesn't feel right, or even just if you haven't gotten a checkup in a while, yes, a lot of that may be digital these days, but there are certain times or certain conversations you may have where it brings you to an epiphany, like, hey, you know what, I'm, I'm not the best at this thing, or you know what, I haven't thought about that, or even considering that, you know, I'm getting a little bit older. I mean, I'm 37. I don't even know how old I am anymore. And I'm thinking about even my family history. So I'm like, my dad was diabetic. My uncle was diabetic. And so some of these habits, it's, it's moving from carefree, I'm living my life in YOLO to, all right, I need to start being a bit more uh, preventative so I don't end up with some of these same ailments and fall into the same cycle. So I think one big theme that has come from uh, these past few weeks for me is, is breaking the cycle. And that goes into a lot of different aspects of, of my life. And, and probably for people in general, there's a cycle that we need to break. As I'm listening to you, I'm thinking two things. One is you're talking about how you're getting more done and you're more organized. And I'm thinking, man, paychecks and balances is so good already. Now you're telling me you're really going to start bringing it because you're feeling good. The second thing is that you mentioned that you're feeling really good now, which is kind of strange. And almost, I know when I've had these moments in the last few months where I've been feeling really good, part of me almost feels guilty. Like all these bad things are happening in the world. There are people suffering. There's bad stuff going on. And here I am working on myself. Do you ever get that guilt too? Like, wow, I'm living my best life here, but I don't want to forget that, that there's some bad things going on in the world right now. I don't get the guilt, but I do get fear because I'm an anxious person and a catastrophic thinker. And I mentioned early on that the past year, I've just had a lot of stuff going on. It feels like every season there's been some different type of tragic situation that's, that's happened in my life. That, and I don't go on and talk about it on the podcast or put it out there for, for public consumption. But over the last year, there's been a lot. And so now that things are going really well, I have, I do, I have a looming feeling and I normally don't have this feeling. But now that things are going really well, I've got this feeling where I'm waiting for the shoe to drop, where something bad is going to happen. Something is going to come up that is going to ruin this. I'm going to get some phone call from home from a family member during the middle of the week because those random calls, usually somebody is sick or someone has passed away. So I've actually been a little bit on edge. So while things are going great, I'm making more progress and I'm enjoying it. I haven't felt guilt, but just being a catastrophic thinker, and that's something that I'm working on, I'm waiting for something to break this uh, momentum or for something to come up that's really going to challenge me and kind of put me to the test and see how I respond to it. So yeah, that's been a, a weird feeling that I've been navigating and talking to my therapist about as well. Yeah, you know, so I grew up and had some difficult things when I was a kid, you know, Difficult for me, right? I only have my experience. So maybe someone else would have gone through, gone through them and said they weren't difficult. But the thing about having, you know, my father died, a few other things happened. The thing about having all those happen when I was younger is it was like, I felt like almost I got a bunch of them out of the way early. But you almost get this feeling like that that fear of what could happen is this burden and there's no answer for that burden because we have no clue, right? God knows what's going to happen to us in the future. 
And it's like, you almost have to lay that burden down because you can't fix it and you can't carry it your whole life. And it's not doing anything for you. And it's just on you. And it's funny because I think I think about that a lot because I, you know, I have two kids too. And once you have kids, it like ruins you because all you're worried about is what could possibly happen to those kids. That also causes fear. And I don't even have kids yet. Yeah. And, <laughs> and at some point you've, you've got to be like, I can't fix this. I have it. I just got to put it down because I can't do anything else with it. Right. And I know for me, that visual of just laying it down and walking away and saying it's there, can't fix it, but it is what it is has helped me a lot in some of those issues. And that's also freedom. And because yeah. freedom is a really big thing for me. Uh, and being able to, to step away and, or being able to say, you know what, I can't address this, even in terms of, I've had to do a lot of work over the years because I'm someone who's a natural people pleaser. And when you're a natural people pleaser, you, you tend to overextend yourself. You put people before yourself. You're worried about what other people think. and in some instances, that can be a positive if it, in terms of, you know, so if you work in customer service or something like that, you can be a very good relationship builder. But in a lot of ways, it can be uh, a negative. And I think part of uh, what I've been thinking about is my ability to be my full and whole self, no matter the circumstance, as, as opposed to wondering like, oh, if I say this thing, is it going to offend somebody? And it's something that I struggle with as a podcaster. It's something that I struggle with. You know, when I go on video, like, oh, this, you know, there might be somebody out there who might be offended by this, but moving toward a place and I, and I have experienced this freedom probably even beyond the past couple of weeks, but this freedom where I say to myself, you know what? I am who I am. I am ultimately here to help people and becoming confident in that. Whatever I do, it is well-intentioned. There are things that I have opinions on. And also just thinking about what my personal values are. So for me, there's making a difference. There's authenticity, which is very important and something that I acknowledge recently as a top value. And then uh, there's also freedom, which if I'm accomplishing the authenticity and I'm accomplishing the making a difference, then I'm likely experiencing freedom. And that authenticity part now, instead of holding back, and I'm someone who's just naturally tactful, but now Instead of holding back, I will challenge myself and say, is this me practicing what's important to me? And so I'm finally going to be becoming more vocal, even in work conversations. I'm becoming more vocal in terms of how I handle my business, put it, putting my opinions out there on different things and being OK with people dropping off. You know, I've had some uh, comments and feedback about the events over the past month, and I've noticed people drop off our email list. I've noticed people stop following me and I don't care. I'm, I'm not going to feel constrained and just kind of keep this stuff in my head because I'm trying to pacify everyone else. And I know this is like not what you were talking about specifically, but I, I think that that freedom piece is, is really important because uh, even in terms of the health stuff, like now the, the amount of time that I'm able to spend working on paychecks and balances because I have energy for it. And when I'm working on that, I know that I'm making a difference and that I'm helping people and that I'm being authentic. So I'm experiencing freedom. Uh, working out and feeling good and knowing that it's okay for me to eat some of these things every now and then like freedom. It shows up in, in so many different ways. Yeah. That freedom and authenticity, it's all connected to the physical and mental health. So, you know, we're talking about how to thrive when life throws you curveballs. We all feel <laughs> in this world, and especially in the United States that we've had this huge curveball thrown at us and doing what you're doing 
exercising, getting your mind and body in the right place clearly is a good use of this time. And uh, it's good to see that we all can find ways to move forward and that this pause doesn't have to be a reversion. It doesn't have to be a step back, but it can actually be a step forward. Rich Jones, thanks for coming back on the show. It's been a lot of fun, man. I love talking about this and uh, I encourage people start small. Even if it's something as simple as waking up and drinking a glass of water first thing in the morning, don't overcomplicate it. Start small. Wise advice. You care about your money. Of course you do. So why aren't you listening to SoFi Daily? This podcast will keep you updated on the latest news in the stock market and how it could impact your financial life. Stay on top of what's happening. Listen to SoFi Daily, wherever you get your podcasts. That's SoFi Daily, wherever you get your podcasts. It feels really good to be productive, but a lot of the time it's easier said than done, especially when you need to make time to learn about productivity so you can actually, you know, be productive. But you can start your morning off right and be ready to get stuff done in just a few minutes with the Inc. Productivity Tip of the Day podcast. New episodes drop every weekday, so listen and subscribe to Inc. Productivity Tip of the Day wherever you get your podcasts. That's Inc. Productivity Tip of the Day wherever you get your podcasts.